Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. You're with Tracy Newman and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Dan Bentley. And today we're really excited to have Andrea Camastri joining us. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Tracy, and thank you, Dan, for having me. Uh, so good to have you join us. I'd like to start off by just acknowledging that I'm recording here in Adelaide, so I'd like to acknowledge the Ghana as the custodians of the Adelaide Pains and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. And I'm back in Melbourne, so I'm on the lands of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, and I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And I am in Sydney in on the land of the Wallamaraga people, the Aura Nation, but I also acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands in Mount Victoria and the Blue Mountains, which are the Darug and Gandangara people who very generously host us in their beautiful land. Beautiful, which is a great segue because I'd love you to share with us a little bit more about who it is that you are and, and what it is that you do, Andre. Yes. Well, I am the CEO and co-founder of Hotel Ethical, which is Australia's first social enterprise hotel. It's a beautiful hotel based in the Blue Mountains in Mount Victoria, and we employ and train young people with disability. Nice. So I think that's really exciting that you have the first social enterprise hotel in Australia. How did that come about? Quite serendipitously, I suppose, but I've always been involved in and around the social enterprise and uh, charity space in different roles, including philanthropy for a number of years. And while I was working and running a philanthropic foundation in Sydney, I was approached by the founders of the Hotel Etico model in Italy because it was born in Italy about 10 years ago. And they were just doing the rounds and trying to connect to people and spreading the word. And I just loved the model, fell in love with it from the first meeting, from the first coffee. And yeah, the rest is history. Wow. I mean, that sounds really easy when you say the rest is history like that. (laughs) But I'm sure the pathway between great idea and the beautiful execution that is the Hotel Etico are are quite a, a bit different. So you want to sort of talk us through what that was really like? Yeah, well, definitely a lot of hard work and passion and commitment. And most of the things were just the typical administrative things that you have to do when you set up a company, a charity, and so on. But then obviously, we had to translate the model, not just linguistically, but, you know, into the local cultural and legal context, especially within the the NDIS environment. But then we had to translate it from paper to reality, which means as usual, money, people, and allocation. And so that's where the journey started. So I suppose the beginning was easy, even though we were doing it with no money. A few bumps along the road, but you know, it's been a pretty exciting and always upward trend and journey. So yeah. So do you want to just sort of tell us a little bit more about what it's like running a, a social enterprise hotel versus a, a standard hotel? I think everyone's been to a hotel, so they kind of understand what that looks like. Well, what's the difference between standard hotel and what you do? Yes, and that's the beauty of the model because it's pretty relatable by everyone. You know, everyone owns a home or lives in a home and everyone has been in a hotel. So we talk about the hotel as being like a big house, a big home. And that is a significant concept for the trainees because our trainees live on site 
And so they live within the big home that is the hotel and and transfer the skills back and forth between what they're learning in their residence on site into the hotel in a work setting and vice versa. And so there's this beautiful marriage about learning and, and executing and experiencing the hotel. The hotel is, you know, like we run it and want to run it as a traditional business that needs to make money to sustain itself. And that's, you know, typical concept of a social enterprise. It's a 15-room hotel, so it's a smallish boutique hotel, but beautiful building, you know, 150 years old, built by John Fairfax in 1876. It's got a beautiful restaurant, it's got a bar, it's got lots of spaces for events and meetings. And then it has what we call the Academy of Independence, which is two apartments where the trainees live. And they stay with us for a minimum of 12 months. So they stay on site for 12 months. We are an NDIS provider. So they're supported with a ratio of one to three. And they learn on the job. They are paid full award wages from day one. And that's a fundamental element of our model. And then they learn on the job that it's a very Montessori style learning. So experiential learning on the job, hands-on. So obviously there is a very clear curriculum. There are competencies that they need to acquire, which we have developed internally, as well as getting some input from external RTOs, but it's very much learning from doing. So you mentioned that the staff there live on site and they're they're there for a period of 12 months. What does the the transition outside of that employment. So do they have qualifications that they would take with them or? Yeah. So some qualifications are obtained from external RTOs that come in and partner with us. So like the more compliance related type of skills and qualifications like RSA, you know, serving of alcohol or barista skills or dealing with customers, customer service. But for the majority, the skills are obviously mapped to you know national skills competencies but we developed our own curriculum because it's important to pace it at the right pace at individual pace so i suppose that the curriculum provides a, a framework within which then each trainee moves and learns at their own pace and they initially are exposed for a period of three months to all the areas of the hotel both in terms of work and training so guest services, reception, bar, restaurant, kitchen, everything you can imagine, housekeeping. And then within the first three months, they are supported in choosing an elective, a a specialization. And then for the following nine months, while they continue to work across the entire business, they specialize their training in one of the areas. And then they might change their mind along the way, like we all do and so on, you know, depending on experiences. But by the end of the 12 months, they have not just those qualifications, but also the skills that they've acquired on the job, plus the independent living skills, because really the the model is independence through work. That's why I was saying there's that magical marriage between life skills and work skills that really sets them up for success in their independent life journey. And so at the end of the 12 months or leading up to the end of the 12 months before they graduate from our independent living program, They are then supported in securing employment externally with a range of uh, employment partners that we've partnered with, and it's a growing list. And then they secure a job and we support them for a further minimum of 12 months, support them and the employers for the relationship to be successful. 
So we've enlisted a number of quite well-known brands within the tourism and hospitality sector, like the Fairmont Resort, the Fullerton, the Sofitel, Mercure, a number of other small employers, a Scenic World in the Blue Mountains, Janolan Caves. So there's a growing list of employers that basically are interested in doing the right thing, and they always need staff. And so it's like it's a perfect storm, I suppose. And we support them in, in ensuring that they have disability confidence and they have the skills and they have the right culture and they build the right culture internally. So it's, it's really a win-win, win-win-win situation. Yeah, that's great. That second year that you support them when they're at their new employer, was that something that was in the design from the start or was that something that you learned wasn't working well and you have implemented since? No, no, it was. It was from the start. I mean, we we keep developing and refining the model almost on a daily basis, uh, not because we don't know what we're doing, but because we learn and, you know, perfect it. And, and I'm, I'm a very great believer in continuous improvement in everything we do. But definitely the model of live in, work, learn, and then be supported externally was always part of the model and is the same in Italy to some extent. And so, yeah, there was definitely that. And then obviously we learn every day what the employees need and so the different adjustments and the different interventions and training. So recently, for example, we were awarded a grant from the federal government, which is the first and only government grant we have that allows us to work with small and medium enterprises in the Blue Mountains and Western Sydney, and it's called Tourism Navigator. And basically it works with enterprises to develop their confidence and their capacity to to employ people with disability. And so then we have a whole series of training sessions that we're going to conduct now with, with businesses. And really, you know, if you look at our theory of change, even though obviously the great focus is on the trainees, the ultimate aim is to work on the bigger picture and the bigger picture is changing attitudes. And when we talk about changing public attitudes, we talk about employers and then the general public. Because one thing that I haven't necessarily said yet is that it creates great satisfaction in seeing every single guest that walks through the door of the hotel completely transformed in their perception about disability and about disability employment. Because only by seeing that you realize that your perceptions may have been may have been wrong and the limitations that we create, the barriers that we create, they are barriers, they're not their barriers. There's amazing potential and, and we see the change in one point in time, right? So they come in, they see what they can do. We see them over 12, 24 months and it's an amazing transformation that you see sort of in front of your eyes and things that we wouldn't even imagine possible on day one, they just become normal day-to-day things and it's just incredible. And that goes from people virtually non-verbal and very introverted and unskilled to the same person becoming the person that takes the orders, takes the payments, does the housekeeping, does the gardening, you know, talks to people, laughs, interacts. It's just magical. It's really magical. That's so cool. I love how you're not just working with the individuals, but I love how you're taking that system approach to solving the problem where you're working with the other employers to try and build their capacity around being able to do this. And I also love that flow and effect too that you mentioned before around how individuals that come and stay at the hotel is changing their perception too. Because you're right, if you look at that as all those things together, it really does change that whole perception and opens up so many new opportunities for people in that space. Want to improve your co-design skills and confidence? Join Tracy Newman, the co-host of this podcast and head of impact at Impactor Consulting for the Co-Design for Impact training program. In this training, you'll explore co-design from start to finish, learning how to understand diverse stakeholder needs and create innovative solutions. 
You'll also get access to the co-design workbook with essential worksheets and connect with like-minded individuals from the social sector. Act fast because this popular course fills up quickly. Secure your spot now by clicking the link in this episode's show notes or visiting impactoconsulting.com.au forward slash co-design for impact. Remember, co-design for impact is one word with no hyphens. Don't miss this chance to enhance your co-design skills. When you took that model from Italy, have you had to change it much for the context in Sydney? Yes, I'd say yes. The the fundamental difference is the NDIS. So the NDIS is an amazing revolutionary social policy that doesn't exist anywhere in the world. And, and so what it allows us to do in terms of depth of support and range of support is unmatched anywhere in the world. And so that is incredible. Then obviously there are some cultural laws and privacy laws and, you know, that, but even the cultural context. But the, the, there are some not negotiable, some sort of core elements of the model that apply anywhere in the world. And so that's the living program, the training from experience and the working with employers and the full award wages, trainees being front and center of the business, not tucked away and doing you know, menial jobs, that they're all significant things that will never change. Yeah, they sound like the, the real fundamentals that make the program what it is. And then around that is how you've taken on board that feedback. You mentioned earlier that you are always evolving and changing on the basis of what you're learning. Do you have any kind of formal process for translating that learning into change or like how does that actually work on the ground? First thought that I had when, as you were asking the question is no. (laughs) I adopt within the business an approach that I defined as ready, fire, aim to decision-making and to doing, which, you know, is applicable in certain circumstances. Obviously, in, in many aspects of the business, you can't because your compliance comes into the picture and legal requirements and so on. But there's a very strong entrepreneurial approach to what we do. And I think it's now started to stick with everyone within the business. And it's beautiful to see where... You don't need to be 100% perfect before you enact something. You know, you can get to 80% and that's good enough and then you can perfect it after. And I think if we were waiting for perfection, we would have never started because, you know, there were big risks and big unknowns. And and so it's really about being collaborative internally, collaborative and, and, and open with uh, families whose feedback is just another level, is just amazing, positive, constructive, open. So no, the, the process is just about continuously reviewing things and always thinking that you can do something better. That's interesting because whilst that's not necessarily what comes to mind when you talk about a formal process, you actually have quite a defined process, which is seeking feedback and understanding the value of feedback, which from you know what I'm hearing then means that people are giving you really good quality feedback because they know you're going to do something with it. Yeah, Absolutely. And we know we've got a very strong set of values that we, we we sort of implement and we walk by every day, you know, even the admitting and recognizing and owning your own mistakes and learning from it and sharing them. That's fundamental. And especially within a disability employment space, because mistakes are daily, you know, they happen daily and you learn from that. And so we need to walk the talk. And so our trainees can see that and it's a beautiful environment for that. 
one of the things that I really love is having a look and seeing some of the awards that you're winning that are not necessarily, and it also flows through in terms of what you were talking about in terms of your guest experience, that sometimes you feel like well, if you're supporting a social enterprise, maybe it's okay if the experience isn't as good because you're doing something good. But I can see that that's not the mindset that you've taken into this hotel and that's not the feedback that you seem to get either. It's definitely been very rewarding and validating to receive awards from all sorts of different areas and peers because, you know, we can talk every day about how good we are, but it's worth much more when someone else says it. And so I have to say it was a very deliberate strategy for an organization that is still, you know, relatively small without great budgets and great marketing uh, power to sort of go after awards because we, we knew that if acknowledged and validated by others, that will go a long way. And because we work across a number of fields and sectors and industries from disability to employment to hospitality and so on, it was that we were able to sort of spread it quite wide. And so, yes, we won the, you know, small business award in the Blue Mountains for, as a best new business in the mountains last year. We won the disability service employment award for employment, innovation in employment. We won the accommodation award for excellence from the accommodation in Australia. We won the human rights. Rights Commission Award as a Human Rights Award last year, which was probably the pinnacle, I suppose, in terms of importance. And a few others, to be honest, I, I don't even remember them. And we you know we, we we keep putting our hand up or, or being tapped on the uh, on the shoulder for for others. And and it's great. It's great recognition and it's been great, really, really valuable. So yeah, it's really, really rewarding. We were talking a little bit off air around some of the challenges that are around at the moment around disability employment and the need to make sure that you're providing specialised support, but also making that part of the community. So I can see that you've done some really good work in, in that regard. Where are you at with that and what's your current thinking about what needs to happen next? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely the world is quite behind. Australia is quite behind. You know, there's a very low rate of labour force particip participation for people with disability, despite us having signed up to the UN convention. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of great stuff happening. There's a lot of great programs. And there's, you know, the Disability Royal Commission recently releasing all, the, all, all their recommendations, a lot of them quite challenging and thought-provoking and difficult to implement. One of the key things that we argue with our model that we're able to do with our model is moving away from segregation within an employment setting. I am fully aware that, you know, segregation, which is a bad word, possibly the first job should be to come up with a different word. But, you know, it's a segregated environment is, is definitely not conducive to inclusion, to growth. But I'm fully aware that there are contexts and situations where that might never be possible because of the types of disabilities that an individual may have. But what I'm hoping we're demonstrating with our model is that Sometimes you don't know what you don't know and the skills and the abilities and the aspirations that people with disability have are unknown. And as I said before, we, we see on a daily basis demonstration of, of this sort of melting away of these barriers. And so I am sure that there are many, many people with disability who work in a segregated environment paid lesser than award wages and not included in a fully integrated work setting that if given the opportunity, they would take it and they would fly. The argument is, you know, like every person that works in a Australian disability enterprise or, you know, the former shelter workshops, 
is happy. Of course, they're happy because they're within their community, their value, that and so on. But what if? You know, there's, it's always that. So give that opportunity as much as you can give that opportunity, whether it's, you know, working in employment or creating micro enterprises or whatever that is. But there's definitely much, much more that can be done and, and just need to be dreamed and it will happen. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I like that idea. As you, you mentioned before, people have perceptions that they put onto other people and that's not always helpful. And one of the things that you said off, off air as we were about to talk about was that people in your program can work. But then you also realise that actually at the beginning, some of them didn't know that. And so I think that's that's really key, isn't it? It's actually giving people opportunity to discover for themselves what they're capable Absolutely. of. Absolutely. And working out what level of support they need. Some may need more than other than others. But, you know, the, the evidence is in even the families themselves are shocked and surprised and amazed at what their children are able to do and realize that they themselves were the ones that to start with were putting the barriers, the first barriers. Because as parents, we protect our children. They're vulnerable. They're more vulnerable than others. And so barriers that go from, oh, no, he can't catch the train by himself or, you know, he'll get lost or he'll get abused or whatever. No, that doesn't, you know, and one of the key things about our independence uh, model is that they travel to work independently, to and from work once a week, and, and then they stay for three or four nights, and this is for, for a minimum of a year. And initially, they might come with their parents by car or with a carer, and then they might go halfway with the carer or parent by train, or then they might join another and of their colleague, and then they and eventually they might travel by themselves. And that happens for everyone. It's not about visibility. It's about the repetition, creating their habits and believing in themselves. And if you show that you believe in them, they will end up believing in themselves as well. That's really, really gorgeous. So you did talk a little bit before about some of the work that you're doing at that kind of system level to really drive the capability of other employers to successfully employ people and make inclusion just part of how they work. What's next for you and, and the team? Yeah, well, I mean, first program? of all, we will continue to grow the program and therefore continue to grow the partnerships with employers. So, you know, we started with a group of six. At the end of their, when they graduated, we doubled that to 12 and then we further extended it to 15. So at the moment, our cohort is 15. There are already close to 40 people that have been part of the program and, and they will need work on an ongoing basis. And so that's that. And they will keep growing and therefore more partners and so on. But then the, the next big thing is that we will be expanding and scaling to other states and replicating the model to other states and territories. And, you know, our, our vision is to be present in every state and territory around the country with one or more hotels. And, you know, there's no reason why if there is a hotel somewhere, it shouldn't be a hotel where there is a training program. There are people with disability everywhere that, that doesn't really discriminate in any way. And so we are gearing up and we've started working for a few months and we're getting more and more serious about that. And so we expect that, you know, within the next 12 months, it's very likely that there will be another site, possibly to start with within the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. We're quite agnostic about where to go. We don't really have a great preference, but there are some not negotiables in terms of location, in terms of vicinity to a, a major centre or to accessibility or to size of the hotel. Obviously, there is a whole range of parameters that we've defined that gives us the guidance and then otherwise we're region agnostic and so it will be interesting to see where we end up and that will amplify the impact 
and amplify the partnerships, amplify the exposures. We work quite closely with, as I said, with a number of great brands. We're in great conversations with ACO, which is a great group with a great geographic footprint around the country and internationally. We want to get even more serious with them. And, and so there's great opportunities. And it, how much can we deal with at once, I suppose? But there's a great level of, of enthusiasm at the moment from the team and from the entire network of people, whether it be philanthropic supporters, whether it be industry families, the disability community. So there's a lot of interest around us, which is challenging because obviously there's great expectations as well. But, you know, so far it's been pretty much a dream run. That's really exciting. And I imagine that that after this podcast goes live, you'll have some more people who are interested as well. So apart from coming and staying with you, which would be a really beautiful guest experience, and we'll we'll put a link so that people can have a look at the hotel because it's absolutely like it's a beautiful, beautiful premises. And like I said, all the reviews that are online are, are really complimentary of, of the stay as well. So apart from coming and staying with you, is there anything else that would be good for people to to sort of link into? That's definitely the first best thing that a person can do, just come and experience it. And, and that's the best way of supporting the business. But yeah, I mean, talk about it, reach out to me as you hear. I mean, I'm very happy to talk about it all the time and uh, it's hard to shut me up. And um, we have opportunities for partnerships in employment. We're definitely looking for partners to establish new sites. So, you know, property owners or, or, or hotel operators or investors, impact investors, philanthropists. Absolutely. And then also participate. If you know someone with a disability that, that will be interested in working, as long as they can get themselves to, at the moment, Mount Victoria, that's, you know, like, let, let us know. At the moment, all of our trainees come from a radius of about two hours from Mount Victoria. So they're able to get themselves there. So east, west, north and south. And we've had people saying, oh, I'm going to move states because I want to come and join you. So yeah, you can help in, in many, many ways. You can make a donation, of course, we're a charity, but sometimes partnering is more fruitful than the donation itself. Brilliant. Okay. Well, we'll put the links into the Hotel Etico uh, website in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for sharing this story. I feel really inspired and I, I hope that other people are feeling really inspired. I think it's really exciting when we can take something that works overseas, but then, you know, innovate and make it work in the context of, of Australia. And it's yeah. just so great to hear some of these good news stories that are coming out of uh, what's possible for people. So thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.